Welcome to the Carmen Murray Show, where we have conversations about 21st century business and culture. Together, we'll play in the customer experience sandpit, leaving no stone unturned as we address today's burning marketing issues. CMOs need to be more versatile than ever before as they abandon stale thinking, integrate data insights and technology, create seamless brand experiences, and maintain customer-centric human connections to serve and simplify their customers' lives. From the Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. What's up? Great to have you guys back. Um, welcome, Future for Tribe. Today, uh, I have a very special guest in the house, and we're going to unpack a topic that is really making people feel so uncomfortable. It's that thing that you hear all the time, being woke, staying woke, and wokeness, and finding ways of how to deal with that feeling that you feel all the time, being uncomfortable. So many people are defining wokeness in so many different ways. And I thought it would be better for us to bring an expert in that can give us a little bit more perspective on this topic. And let's go deep today. So without further ado, I've got Rabone Masamola here um, with me today. And she is actually this young, fierce young lady. She's not afraid to have a voice heard. And she is literally the voice of the youth and of women out there. And she's also been voted as one of the youth wonders of 2019 and definitely someone to look out for. So good day, Rabone. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you, Carmen. It's thank so you for exciting. Me. I'm so excited. Finally. Oh my gosh, like it's, we, we've been talking about this for such a long time and your schedule is just like impossible. So tell me, before we start, so you, you founded the Work Project. That's um, correct. If you were at a party, and you had to introduce yourself to people. How would you introduce yourself on this one? So generally, I tell people that I'm a creative activist and a public academic. It's a bit, you know, very wishy-washy still, but mm -hmm. it overall encompasses all the different roles that I occupy as a person. I'm a creative who's also an activist and I'm an academic. Okay, so all yes. in one in one yes, bottle, basically. Okay, so um, how do you take creativity into the space of wokeness? I think it's very important because it's a very serious space, mm -hmm. and it's quite jarring and intimidating for a lot of people because of the issues that are involved in conversations around what it means to be woke. So one of the things that I tried to do as well is to have those conversations with creatives, like actual creatives within the creative space. Like how do we interpret kind of being aware and being awake and all those ideas around wokeness mm. and just bringing different types of people together to have those conversations. As an activist, I have access to, you know, other activists. As an academic, I have access to academics. As a creative, I have access to those people. Bringing them together to then have a conversation around, you know, what it means within the academic space to be, mm. you know, to be woke and from the creative space. And then finding a middle ground for this conversation in a way that's, you know, 360, overall encompassing and it's more accessible. You're still sharing knowledge without, you know, the intimidation of the big idea of mm. being socially conscious and just understanding what that means for you know, the society and for different people. 
And I think it's so important what you're touching on. I think especially in, in the creative space, you know, there's no longer that thing about if you work in an agency for you guys out there, you can't just copy and paste anymore. No, you can't. That formula doesn't work anymore. Precisely. It could get you into a lot of trouble. And copying people is not necessarily, and if you think that their campaign is great and maybe it was received well, you never understand that person's why yes, or yes. the company's why. And it could take you into very, very dark places it could. Um, with this woke generation. Yeah, it could. I think for me, the most important thing that has happened since the kind of like the advent notion of being woke or whatever the case is, is that it has kind of forced creatives to take some level of responsibility and accountability mm. in the types of work that we create as, as creatives, but also work that's quite relevant and on the pulse of culture and it speaks to people's lived experiences. I think for a long time, especially in this country, creativity has kind of like been devoid of real life experiences. And it wasn't always quite nuanced. It was just like a cut and paste of people's experiences or so-called people's experiences that wasn't actually reflective of their lived experience. So I think it has forced creatives to be a little bit more creative. (laughs) (laughs) Totally agree with you. So talk me through your story, your purpose. How did this all begin for you? Wow, my purpose. It's, it accidentally happened, I would say. So I studied anthropology. I have a master's degree in anthropology. And my objective in life has always been to, you know, do my doctorate and just become a, become an academic. And that was just, that was the plan. But once I finished my master's, I was just like, wow, this was a lot. Like it was hard. (laughs) (laughs) It was a very, it was a very humbling experience. So I ended up in an advertising agency. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing there. I didn't understand what advertising was about. I didn't understand what marketing was. (laughs) I had a background in anthropology. So it was just like, okay, this is something new. It's quite diverse, but it kind of matches. It does. It does, right? Once you get into it, you're kind of like, it makes sense. Mm, You know, it makes mm. sense. You know, advertising is about, you know, people, it's about culture. It's about insights, and that's what we do as anthropologists. We study people and culture. Correct. So just being in that environment was just a very eye-opening experience. Mm. Because for me, being in university, I think for a lot of people as well, you live in a bubble, right? Where mm. you are surrounded by very conscious and very, you know, out-of-the-box thinkers and people who, you know, understand ideas around justice and equality and, you know, we're all just great and we, you know, we love each other and we get along. <laughs> and once you, once you get out of that space into the world of work, it's a very completely different space where there's still a lot of conflict and a lot of kind of like division and, mm. you know, everyone is afraid. Everyone stays in their own little box. And because I remember even when I started there, even something as simple as having lunch, you know, you have like black people sitting there, you have Indian people sitting there and like those kinds of things mm. where I was just very jarred for me. It was just very new because in varsity you have all of these diversity of friends, you know, we have all of these conversations. We argue, we, you know, we disagree and it's fine because that's the base, the space for it. But there was none of that in, in advertising. So I was quite shocked and for me it's that point where I felt a little bit of activism come out of me because I didn't mm. feel like I had to be an activist mm. leading up to that point because I was just like okay everything seems great so I was kind of like thrown into the space where you know people were saying really problematic things without really being aware that they're problematic and I felt like I had to say something mm. right more and more and more of those things happened that you know I just 
I just became this person that I am now because of the context, because of the situation. There's that really powerful saying that, you know, your silence will not protect you. Yes. So there was no option for me to not say anything. Mm. So you become that person. It's it's so interesting. Um, especially in the creative environment, one would think there's no boundaries. It's it's really a place where everybody's like kumbaya. Mm-hmm. It's like a place where everybody joins and, you know, have these crazy ideas yeah. um, and a, a place of unity. Mm-hmm. But then on the one side, we all know that with creative people yes. as well, there's also that wall, the, wall. Yeah. the big wall. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's I think it's also comes with creative personalities. Yeah. I think there's also that element. Yes. Like we have the saying in Afrikaans, swirt suk. Sweat. So you you know you you with your tribe because yes. that's where you feel comfortable. comfortable. Yeah, and that's exactly where the whole underlying problem begins. It is. It is because also, although there is some, so it's not completely like divided in the in the grandstand or in that way, but there's just things that are not being said. Mm. Right. Mm. It's the you know just being quiet when you know somebody's because it's still quite male dominated in that way. The creative directors are men and. You know, those kinds of things where you don't actually feel like you can say anything or you don't feel like whatever you say will be valued in that way. Because there's someone who's going to finally make the decision who doesn't understand where your insight is coming from. But Mm. you're not in the room when those decisions are made. Mm. So it's not always obvious in terms of that division and the lack of understanding, the misunderstandings. It's when you're actually thinking about it all the time that you start to recognize that Mm. actually... There aren't enough women in the room, actually. There are not enough black creatives in the room, actually. Yeah. Where are the gay people, actually? Those kinds of things. And and, and this is the thing. I mean, even in, if you look at politicians, yeah. government level, if you don't do not have the representation exactly. of everybody, and how can their rights be protected? It, precisely, right? You have people who are speaking for other people, yeah. even though those people don't have, you know, my lived experience, for instance. Mm. So you are... You, you are not in a position to do that. You can empathize with my struggle as a person, but unless you've actually lived or walked in my shoes, there is no way for you to fight for me in a way that's representative of me. Because mm. I need to be there to be able to speak for myself yeah. so I can say, okay, this is why I need one, two, three, based on my lived experience here and there. Mm. So if you're looking in from the outside in, for you, that's just like, it's theoretical, basically. Right. You're not going to fight as hard for me as I would for myself because you actually don't understand fully. That's so, so true. And and one of the things I think is also very important is, look, I mean, uh, woke is being defined to many people as different things. Yes. So I think let's unpack that. So so one of the things would be religion. Mm -hmm. You would have race. You've got the the injustices in society. Mm. You've got gender equality, like the Me Too movement, um, Fairness First. Then we've got the environment. I mean, that is becoming a big thing. thing. And then we've got consumerism, Mm. sexism. I mean, it it just doesn't stop. It just seems everyone is cashing in on this phrase of being woke. Yeah. In the era of being an activist. Yes, yes. But one needs to also ask, is it losing its influential meaning? Um, you know, what what would you define woke being in your life? So for me, things like gender and sexuality and the whole, you know, green movement or whatever cases, those are subsections, mm. right? But wokeness in itself is a sense of awareness and being aware of of injustice, of inequality, however forms it comes, 
you can fight for climate change, right? Because there's a level of inequality that happens as a result of that. The poor are affected the most by climate change. And, you know, sexism obviously is one of the ways that, um, you know, a lot of people are trying to kind of cement the idea of being woke. But essentially, it's just about recognizing injustice in the world, however form it comes in, and also just nuance and intersectionality, saying that I recognize the fact that, you know, like we speak about marginalization and segregation, all those things, that not all people are marginalized equally, right? All those kinds of things, understanding the nuance and the intersectionality. If I say I am a black woman and I feel, you know, marginalized, so I need to be woke in order to create this awareness around the world, I need to be be able to step back as well and recognize that, you know, if you have a black trans woman, for instance, right? Mm. Their oppression is much deeper than mine. Because there's like people are oppressed differently depending on the positions that we occupy in society. And it's also about recognizing our privilege, mm. whatever form it comes in. If I'm black and a woman, that's that probably puts me in a marginalized position, but I'm a middle class woman, right? I'm an educated woman. That's my privilege. And I need to be able to own up to that, not just say, okay, fine, I'm just, I'm a victim. Mm. There are things that I'm privileged in and I need to be able to recognize that in myself as well. Mm. It's about unlearning social biases, internalized biases that we all we all have. And that's anybody and everybody, regardless of your position in society. It, it's so true what you're saying. And I think uh, one of the things that we always need to recognize is that each person is going through their own trauma. Yeah. And I think there's a big void yes. in, in in this era of being woke yeah. where we're not really addressing the issue. Yeah. So we're not being equipped with the tools and nope. how to handle with these things. And this is where we're seeing, you know, social taboos like yeah. depression yeah. And, and, and so forth happening because exactly as you say, is that people are not in the position where they can have their voices heard. No. And when you are not able to speak your truth Precisely. and what were you coming from, I, I, I feel that, um, of course, you're going to feel like you have no voice, um, you know, and now you can't talk about the fact that you've got mental health issues yeah. because this is not a taboo topic. And it's like yeah. this whole system is just corrupt, if I can put it that way. It is. It's just like broken. <laughs> and we need to get to a point as to where do you draw the line in the sand? I mean, there's so many different actions to take. Yeah. I mean, where do you even start? Um, I think I'm just going to go back on that to say there's some there's a talk that I watched recently where they were speaking about, you know, the idea of the 10,000 hours of working for 10,000 hours to be mm. able to become, you know, cognitively really good at something mm. where you, you become really unconscious about it when you do it because now you're an expert. And I think we need to take the same approach even with with the with the level of, I guess, corruption that we see in the world, however form that corruption takes and understand that I think it's going to take a very long time, right, to to dismantle the systemic issues that have led us up to this point mm. because, you know, it happened over centuries mm. and often we're being so hard on ourselves when we're just like, it needs to happen now, it needs to happen now, it needs to happen now. And that could make you really anxious and depressed when you think, oh my God, like it's just a hopeless case, nothing's happening you know, the world's just doom and gloom and whatever the case mm. is. But I think we just need to be a little bit more patient. But I think for me, the most important thing is, one, yes, it's recognizing that there's a problem, right? Acknowledging that there's a problem. But also the work needs to be about the, individ- the individual as well, right? What am I doing as, a, as an individual to unlearn like all of the trauma that I've 
you know, I've learned over the years of that I've been socialized in because we're all traumatized, Mm. you know, like we've all been through a lot. We all have a story. We all have a story, right? Mm. We've all been through a lot. So there's an individual work or process that needs to take place for each of us as There's individuals. actually a word for that, right? Yeah. Uh, the oppression Olympics. There you go. There you oppression go. Olympics. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's like the individual work that needs to happen, but Correct. also there's the, the collective work, right? The collective unlearning. Mm. I think the most unjust thing that happened in this country is that after 1994, we just assumed, you know, everything will work out. Let's just say rainbow, kumbaya, and then let's just move on and pretend like everything's great. And we didn't take the chance to, to heal as, as, as individuals and just take time to understand, okay, cool, this happened. So what are we doing about it now? How are we healing those traumas? Because all we've been doing for the last 20 years is just keep repeating the cycle over and over and over again. It's like an avalanche exactly. happening. I mean, Precisely. I, I feel like, I mean, this is my my opinion, and you know, you might disagree with me, but I feel things are ten times worse than they they were. Mm. Like it's just it's the avalanche of build up and build up and build up of of racist issues and mm. stuff. And you know, you don't want to to give it weight because you don't want to have those conversations anymore. Mm. You want to actually see the person in front of you as yep. a human being, mm. but you have to address it in in yep. some shape or form. Yep, I think that's the challenge, right? Yeah. Is that there's an expectation that obviously feels like we've been having this conversation, mm. but we've just been glossing over mm. it, not really digging deep and trying to heal from what happened in the last, I don't know, like hundred years, I guess, in this country, that that's why people, there's still so much violence and there's still so much trauma. And we see it manifest in all kinds of ways, right? To mm. the, you know, the social media, you see it on social media with, you know, all of these with, I don't know, race things that happen and all kids in schools that, you know, stab each other, right? We have a cultural, inherent culture of violence that we never actually kind of like dealt with that I think to an extent, I, I don't have the pre-apartheid background, right? Because I didn't live through it. So I don't have that. I don't, I don't have that context. I just know that I guess this generation feels like they've been dealt a bad hand and it just feels like there's no way out of it. I don't know about worse than before. I just know that I don't think it was worse than before, right? I just think it's different. It's mm. not the same thing. It's not comparing bananas to to uh, to bananas to bananas like apples and oranges. Yeah, mm. I think that part of our history was a very different experience to what we're experiencing mm. now. Mm. It's young people who are saying, "Great, twenty years on, and I hear that you know we have all of these leaders who who took us out of that context, and now we're here, but we want more, right?" What more are we getting out of this? Yeah. If young people are unemployed, there's going to be a lot of problems. If I mean, you 100% exactly, right. Exactly. But also we have to recognize that's a completely different issue. Yeah. People do not, uh, the youth do not have no jobs because yeah. of racist yeah. um, situations. It It is really on how things are managed. And I think what we, what, what is very important is, I feel that in this time that we live in, is it is absolutely paramount to unify, mm. because if we allow this thing yep. to ostracize us and 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 really separate um, separate people, how are we going to ever fix this problem? I think the it's not even just a South Africa issue, right? Correct. I think globally, yeah, everyone is feeling unseen, if you like, right? Mm. It's like you don't. If I tell you this is what I'm struggling with. And then you come with a, but 
right? I feel like you don't actually hear me. <laughs> so you don't actually true. recognize my lived experience. And therefore that's going to create conflict. Because I think one, that's like literally the the worst symptom of mm. like the social media, the social media, um, the social media space is that often there's no, there's no room for dialogue. Like dialogue's dead, right? There's no place for debate. Mm. Is that everyone has, has their own ideas about the world that there is no middle ground for us. Not even, I don't even expect us to agree on things. Mm. I'm just saying, listen to me. And we don't listen to people, right? When you're having a debate with someone, they're sitting there waiting to to say a but, right? To rebuttal whatever you're saying. So technically you're not actually listening to mm. what I'm saying. You're just waiting to defend yourself, which is a big problem. Because then we don't empathize with the other person's lived experience. I don't need to understand it. I don't need to agree with you. Mm. I just need to come from a place of empathy totally. as another human being. It's that saying, I'm... Uh- listen with the intent to understand exactly. not with the intent to reply precisely and that I th- is precisely it i think and I, I, I mean this is i i wish we all had the answers yes. i mean it's it's just such a complicated topic i mean you know i think it's 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 just getting to a time in our in our lives where I think we all want to get along. Yeah, we do. And we really want to unite. I really believe that. I was like the other day, I know you're not going to believe this, but I was looking for proper books about learning about different cultures in our country. There's no books. There are no, there is. Like why are these things not being written? (laughs) Right. Like I want to learn about it. Like, and I think it's, it's finding the African stories and how for us to, to form a connection of, of our, our tales yep. and our stories yep. and, and, and getting perspectives because yep. I think history gets lost. Yeah, it does. And we we then have these biases and these stereotypes based on, on injustices and then think, I mean, I'm, look at what happened now with Brexit. Yep. Okay, perfect yep. example. Yep. People were making decisions and the elderly were making decisions yeah. for the youth. Yeah, basically. All right. <laughs> and I mean, like, what what can you do? And I think a lot of the the misunderstandings is always born out of not knowing, right? Yeah. When you say you went looking for books on African culture and whatever, there is no access to other people's cultures, right? We don't have access to other people's mm. lived experience. So it's very easy to to be afraid of the other person, right? Because they're the other, because I don't know anything about them or where they're coming from or their lived experience or what they've been through. So that lack of knowing where people are coming from is also one of the biggest problems. Mm. Even the Brexit thing, right? It's the fear of the other, Mm. of having migrants come to your country, apparently taking your jobs and all those kind of misunderstandings are the thing that creates that division. If I had access to a culture, maybe that would make a difference because then I treat you as a human being. Yeah. I I, I hear you because I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking like if I had to go and draw my family tree, Mm. I think I can go maybe, Two generations, maybe three, <laughs> maybe miss a few people in yeah, between. Exactly. But like we we don't understand our own histories in, in within our own, you know, um family yeah. tree. And that's where a lot of things are are con- mis- misconstrued and we don't understand where it all connects. Yeah. And if that is just happening within each family, yeah. I mean, if we, we don't even understand the cultural um, barriers and, and, yeah. and societal issues that were happening 
um, even, you know, in the 60s or yeah. 50s and 60s, yeah. great. There's documentaries and people's yeah. stories are finally coming Come out. But there's also so much that we don't know and yeah. we can't validate. Nope. And in this time when we live in now, we've also got the internet on top of that to <laughs> yes. layer it, yes. which gives us a lot of information that could sometimes not come from uh, I wouldn't say fake news because I don't want to sound like a credible place. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of information that n- is not necessarily the truth. Yeah. Um, I think that's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of archiving, I guess, those stories. I don't even know where you start because I know historically in different parts of the world, not just in South Africa, when you've had that colonial era, one of the things that happens is that people's history gets burned, gets thrown away, gets... So it's like now you're trying to put things back together mm. and there aren't people from 50, 100 years ago that still live. So a lot of information gets lost. A lot of our history gets lost. And I think one of the most amazing things that would happen or the part of the human condition is that I honestly believe that if we had access to each other's lived experiences or our history or our background and our culture, we can recognize the things that make us human right mm. the things that that bring us together as opposed to like take us apart right mm-hmm. there's going to be so many common factors even in seeing a family as a microcosm of the rest of society as you were saying just now is that if you have all of these tensions within the context of a family imagine that it literally amplifies in the rest of society it's like a reflection of that but on like a very small scale and with when families have conflict Right, they the only way to resolve that is to find a, a place of common common ground, some level Correct. of common ground, some level of, of understanding. And I think for society, the same thing would need to apply by obviously having access to those experiences. So true. That's so true. Okay, let's uh, get into uh, in this time of being woke. Yes. What a what what in your view? If you had to look at it from the work project yeah. perspective, I mean, you guys do work Saturdays, yes. you have so many mm-hmm. like activities happening. Yeah. How would you approach how brands should be more responsible mm-hmm. in this time? What, yeah. Where's the starting or departure point? So I always start from my perspective as an anthropologist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that the most valuable thing I learned from anthropology is the fact that, you know, anthropology is a study of people, right? It's the study of culture. It's the study of patterns and human behavior. And just understanding the how and why people do what they do, what influences people's decisions. So from a brand perspective, historically, one thing we've seen brands do is they would create in isolation, right? Creatives, and I say this to people all the time, is that creatives tend to create for other creatives. Even though we're trying to sell things to consumers, we create the nice looking things that, you know, could win us a lorry or mm. whatever, right? Spot it's, on. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not always based on, on meaningful human insights, which is a very important thing, right? I, I honestly think that if that was the basis of the creative industry to say, great, if I'm, I don't know, if I'm creating a, I'm trying to sell a pair of sneakers or whatever the case is, it's not about selling products, right? It's about selling the experience and then understanding where the gaps lie in the life of the person you're selling this thing to. You know, where is the need, right? Mm. If there's like a whole youth culture of people, 
culture, sneaker culture, and all these young people that love sneakers, it's going to that cultural community, right? And thinking about, you know, what is it about sneakers, you know, that brings them together? It's creating a sense of belonging. It's doing this. I feel like I'm part of a community with these guys that love sneakers, whatever. That's a very pivotal human insight that mm-hmm. you can then go back and say, cool, great. This is the, this is the need. Let's sell it in a way that speaks about, you know, a lifestyle experience, making you feel like you belong as part of a community instead of just, you know, selling sneakers. Yeah. You know, that then distinguishes you from, you know, Nike, from an Adidas, from whatever. Because then you find a place within the community as a brand to kind of like live within that context. Because brands, you know, don't live in isolation. People buy brands. So brands need to, need to speak to people. Mm. They need to speak to people in a language they understand, the human language, not speaking uh, down at people, right? Exactly. So, so for me, wokeness in, in advertising is just that, right? Uh, an awareness of, of people's, people's experiences and an awareness of and like just understanding where the social needs. And one thing that um, I always think is a really great example is like the tech industry in, in Africa, for instance, and even in the rest of the world, is that, you know, they've become more human, right? A very, they take a very human-centered approach. Mm. They think about, you know, creating a user experience that makes the life of the person using the, the tech quite easy, right? It's developing or innovating for a social need as opposed to, you know, innovating in isolation and then finding, trying to find a market for your product. Correct. And it just makes it easy, right? Yeah. It's like a, it's a natural fit to say, cool, you know, people in Africa don't have enough data. You know, how do I create a cell phone that you know, doesn't require <laughs> enough data, right? It will sell itself, basically. For me, that's, that's, that's wokeness, right? An awareness of people's experiences and an awareness of people's environments and people's needs and, and just innovating for that. And understanding what's happening within your direct environment. Yeah. And I think it also comes down to, you know, the small businesses. Exactly. I mean, we're always just talking big brands, yeah. but I mean, there's people disrupting. Um, we, uh, one of the previous episodes we had, flux trends here and they were talking about this lady it was a case study this lady that created swimming caps for for women that have um weaves because they're too small and and she's like making millions so i mean it's it's identifying the need and and realizing that we're not all the same i think i mean I can give you an example from my perspective. Mm. Um, There was a stage where I was really overweight Mm. and I could not find anything to wear that made me feel like I could express my individuality. And, you know, plus sizes was just like not a thing. And now all of a sudden... It's more functional than fashion. Yeah, it's just like, okay, now you plus size, now you have to dress like um, old-fashioned m'lady style. Like, like, (laughs) no, I'm going to happen. I'll roll the fashion <laughs> I'm not that my lady. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. Sorry, no offense if you yeah. are representing that brand, yeah. but I mean, th- th- those things are so important in terms of creating. And I, I love what you said is like creating a, a sense of understanding the need, and then in that community, how do you serve and 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 live that experience? Yeah. And I think coming back to the point of giving people their voices, precisely. One of my most, I guess, not really favorite, but I thought it was quite interesting. Ad was the recent chicken licking ad, right? The mm-hmm. Soul Sisters thing. The thing that I thought was quite interesting about it was they had different characters. They created ads with different characters. And one of the ones was this lady who, a plus size woman actually, and she couldn't find the right fit of of denim or jeans or whatever the case was. And 
she just you feel she just felt really unworthy and just mm. felt really bad about herself and whatever the case was. And the result for that was, you know, her eventually walking into a store that actually, you know, serves plus size women, but still fashionable clothing. And it was just like a nuance of kind of like intersectional experiences um, for different types of people. There was one about a guy that was coming out, you know, in the ad and like a variation of of things. So even in developing products and brands or whatever the case is, they need to be brands that are human centered, you know, mm. speak people, you know, develop experiences for people that actually exist in the world. Yeah. And it'll be such an easy sell because then, you know, you're not just out here just sitting in a boardroom and thinking, hmm, this looks cool, but is it for people or does it just look look nice, right? It's not innovation for the sake of innovation. Yes. It, it meets it's some ins- kind of It's insight-driven. Exactly. It's insight-driven. I, I mean, like, I think one of the one of the most important things also to, to bear in mind is that you will find um, that segmentation is becoming this uh, oh, something that needs to be in the past. Yes, you yes. need to have an understanding of kind of like, yep. you know, based on your data yep. and what your data is telling yep. you, you know, okay, right, these are the... Yep segmentation but you cannot no longer just make the assumption that segmentation is going to give you everything that you need and you need to make your product acceptable to everybody and let them tell you if they like it or not so for example mac might be bringing i'm just using it as an example if you are listening and you from mac bring out a matte lipstick Mm. and it's purple yeah Right, we cannot make an assumption that it only goes to a um, person from youth, yeah. or it's only for like a, a rebel yeah. or that kind of thing. Yeah. Or you know, there's there's so many different cohorts yeah. where that could fit in, yeah. and let the data tell you yeah. who the, the, the those people, people are, are and what behavioral patterns that yeah. they form, and yeah. then you can then based on that create something that's appealing to that yeah. specific market, yeah. like behavior driven as opposed to like correct. And then create your profiles and yeah. then and take it from there. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, the biggest challenges. And, and, you know, specifically in marketing your business, whether you have a brand or mm. a small business, yes. um, one of the things, hair salons, mm. beauty salons, you'll always see the stock photo, yes. that stock photo yeah. or that stock video yes. that is a white female mm-hmm. being pampered by a white female. Mm-hmm. Why can it not be a guy mm-hmm. that's massaging a, a woman, um, a, a black a lady? Or you know, there's, yeah. there's just like I know I sound you know controversial, but I mean, we just need to start realizing that we have unisex toilets. Yes, everybody has changed. Yeah, we need to start changing the small things yeah. in order to change the big things. things. Yeah, culture's moving and. Like as a, even as a small business, you need to move with it, right? Or or else you get left behind. And I honestly think that it should be easier for a small business to innovate and kind of, exactly. They don't have the red tape of a, of a big business. And it's, it's the small things, exactly that, the kind of images that you use in your advertising, right? The tone, the, you know, it's like the little things. It doesn't need to be anything too big that just starting small. I think that's the thing, right? Is that the standards are so low that you don't need to do like anything really crazy. You don't need to pull a Nike, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> or a Pepsi. Exactly, or a Pepsi. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that the standards are so small that, you know, even just the little things would make for such a massive difference that even in your example, right? If as a black woman, then I see, you know, a black woman being massaged, 
then that makes me feel included in mm. the conversation that actually that's something I would actually want to try, even if it wasn't something I would have ever wanted to try. Because sometimes we want things that we're able to see to help us imagine ourselves in those experiences. Mm. If I ever see black women go to a spa, I think maybe it's not for black people, mm. right? So when I see that, those images that are inclusive and... That would actually make relate. me want to cry. I can relate. It'd be like, okay, mm. like, so I can actually try it out as well, right? It's not just, right. you know, for a specific type looking person. It's for everybody. Yeah, I know. I mean, I also think it's so important to show the social change in terms of friendships. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 if I look at how my friendships have transitioned beyond school and yeah. the people I've made friends with yes. and who's my besties and stuff, I've got a very diverse group. Mm. And listen, I think I learned more from, from them than I, I would have learned from school, to be yep. quite honest. I think it, there should be a subject on that. Yep. I think there should be like cross-pollination. Yep. Like your friends, you only th- those people you're allowed to spend time with during lunchtime. <laughs> and then you have to come back, back and do your oral speech on this particular topic. But um, just to, to get back on, on, on this topic, I just think it's so, so, so important to realize that if you're a small business or a big business yes. and you have, you know, images or you have a form of community that yeah. you are creating, yeah. people are going to gravitate towards your business. People Definitely. cannot say, for example, um, H&M, if mm-hmm. H&M was only um, giving me the, the the idea that it's only for the youth yeah. and that they only have images of young women wearing H&M. I'm not going to feel that that's the place for me. No, you're not. I think, I guess the most amazing example would be, you know, Fenty Beauty, Rihanna's brand. Literally, she did not reinvent the wheel. She didn't do anything. I didn't think it was like anything revolutionary. All she did was, I'm going to create a beauty brand for all people, for all women, Mm. for women of all skin tones, women, women of every size, you know, all sexualities you think it's common sense, right? Mm-hmm. But it's clearly not. And do you know what happened? People gravitated towards the brand. She made history just for doing that. Even now when she designs clothing, it's clothing for all women. Simple. That's it. No. It's, it's not that complicated. Simple. That's it. Look at look at Chloe Kardashian. Yes. The uh, uh, great American brand. What was it called? Uh, uh, the jeans. Yes. Yes. For all, yes. Uh, all sizes. Yes. Right? Great idea. Yeah. I think it's, and, and this is part of being woke yeah. is to understand that, you know, if you are going to segment people and yeah. put people in boxes, yeah. you're not going to be able to take them out of this box. No. And I think that's a great action point yes. or departure point for that topic alone <laughs> yes. is let's stop putting people in, in boxes, boxes. Mm-hmm. and allow people to be their authentic self mm-hmm. and feel that they're part of something bigger yeah. than themselves. Yeah. And give people choice. Correct. Right? The power of choice is just amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it was really amazing talking to you and learning a little bit more about this. Uh, I know it is a topic that's... a little bit uncomfortable for people, yeah. But at the end of the day, is it's a it's a we discussion to, yeah. we need to have. We need right? to have the conversation, definitely. Well, I like talking about it, and <laughs> of course. I like when people squeal. <laughs> <laughs> we are. That's, that is probably the best thing you yes. can give me is when people are uncomfortable. Then I'm like, okay, now I have to go in like a rock fire. Then you're learning. <laughs> you see, that's where you learn the at the place of discomfort. That's where you start learning. <laughs> no, I totally agree. Um, tell me, what books are you currently? reading i am actually reading this book that i love very much of a lady called roxanne gay 
It's called Bad Feminist. It's amazing. Oh, there she goes. Yes. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And I am reading Timothy. New book, which is amazing. I'm learning a lot about, you know, personal branding, which is amazing. And also the thing around nuance and just growth of the person across the board, which has been quite interesting. Yeah, those are the two. Oh, wait. And Black Sister Streets. What's um, that about? Well, it's about um, these three women actually from Africa who migrated to Amsterdam and just following their lived experience. I think they became sex workers by, you know, by circumstance. The point of the story is then to give you the background into their lives and how they became what they became. And just to, you know, to let you know, you know, shouldn't judge people like people's circumstances. You don't know what you don't know. Um, so yeah, that's what it's about. And Netflix. Ah, Netflix. I actually, I actually haven't had time to watch Netflix, but one thing I've been watching though, I watched a Brene Brown's documentary on vulnerability. And shame. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm going to check is, that out. You should. It's amazing. She did a whole TEDx about it, a TED talk about it. And then there's a whole documentary now on it, on, you know, the power of vulnerability and, you know, where shame comes from. And it's oh, so I human. Love that. You learn so much about yourself. And yeah, it made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, you see, it's part of being work. <laughs> okay. Last question before we go on to our. Uh, tradition of playing a yes. game is what are you doing to keep yourself future fit? Learning all the time. I always, I love learning. And by that, I mean doing actual like online courses and going to talks. I went to one recently called Founders Nation, which was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> Uh, but it's just like about women empowerment and like women in tech and women in within the marketing and advertising and and even your event was amazing. I see, right? Exactly. So oh, like just, sorry, I'm just like I'm just pumping here. <laughs> just you know, just expose myself to different platforms, but also speaking to people within within the industry about, you know, how are they constantly growing and innovating and and TEDx, like TEDx talks, TED talks are always like the easiest way to consume content. Always, always, always. There's always something really cool in there about the future and technology and innovation and like simple ideas, but that are just really amazing. Love it. I absolutely (laughs) love it. Okay. So we are going to play a game and I'm going to allow Barry Yilton to explain it to you. It's called Smart Ask. All right. Hello, my cousins. It's Barry Hilton here and welcome to the Carmen Murray Show. Have I got something lacquer to show you? I've got a game that I've invented called Smart Ask. Yes, can you be a smart ask? I'm sure you can. Most of us are smart askers. But this game, it's quite simple. It's split up into six categories. There's nine cards on each category. Every card has six questions. The dealer chooses the question. And all you have to do is answer three questions correctly to win the game. Is that easy? Uh, well, all of the answers are in multiples of three. So let's get ready to play the game. On your marks, get it. Go. Entertainment. Tom Cruise Films. Mission Impossible 1, 2, 3. <laughs> Good other <Abba> songs. Other <laughs> <Abba> songs. What do you Academy Award winners for Best Actor. Um, Julia Roberts? No. Marilyn yeah. Monroe? Yeah. Yes. She's won an Academy Award? Uh, Julia Roberts, okay. I'm guessing. Uh, 
Teresa is Ross. Okay, Michael Jackson songs from Thriller. Um, Thriller? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love the world. <laughs> Learning. Oh my okay. god! <laughs> Bond woman. The you was a new one. Oh my god! I suck at this game. I suck at this game. Oh my god! god. Okay, okay, duet pop songs. Duet. Um, I suck at this game. I literally, I suck. I think you need to get one of these I, I, and go, uh, go and study. I suck at general knowledge. <laughs> She just what thought just this happened? Was, oh my god, she just thought this was doing all this TEDx and I'm like, hello. I just want to say thank you so much for spending the time with us. It was really awesome having you. Keep on staying a youth wonder. Go and dent the universe and get your message heard. And I can't wait to see what you're up to next. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. All right, cheers, hon. You've been listening to the Carmen Murray Show. Another Solid Gold Podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Uya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.